And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, James Richardson here, presenter of the Totally Football Show. It's a show about football, and sometimes it's about life, and usually it's about an hour long. This Thursday, it's particularly about the midweek Premier League games, Ten Hag against Conte, South Coast Derby dust-up between uh, Bournemouth and Saints, and the story tradition of the all-West London-Brentford-Chelsea clash. I'll be asking dumb questions. Duncan Alexander, Carl Anker and Ahmed Schubel will have clever answers, and you can find all of that by searching for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the show, brought to you by The Athletic in association with The Square Ball. Dan Moylan with you here from The Square Ball, along with Phil Hay from The Athletic, who is on Zoom this morning. Uh, If you want to read Phil's match reaction to the Arsenal defeat, which we are going to come on to in the audio version in just a second or two, have a look on The Athletic. If you're not yet uh, a member there, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up, get your sub. Pound a month for six months at theathletic.com forward slash leads pod the Monday morning edition of the Phil Hayes Show, which is, is all about reacting to the game that happened at the weekend. And um, we also go on Fridays as well, where we preview the upcoming game. Bit of a strange week this week, Phil. We'll get on to Leicester in the second half of the show because we'll be previewing that. Um, however, Arsenal, and there's a hell of a lot to unpack from that game on Sunday afternoon. But I'm going to start you off with a simple question. Should Leeds United have won that game? Yes, they should have done. We've had a few attempts, or you've had a few attempts at recording that opening this morning. And the very first one that you did had a big sigh at the beginning of it. And I can very much understand why. Can you can you reassure me that there are no power cuts in the studio? No resetting of um, Premier League systems or <laughs> well, anything like that? Well, the thing is, the, um, the lift has been knocked out by the power surge in this office building <laughs> over the weekend. So yes, um, there was that. So I've had to walk up some stairs this morning which uh, didn't, didn't sit right first thing for a Monday, but but that's the extent of the damage. Uh, what about Ellen Road, though? It was a strange one, wasn't it? Yeah, at least you're not stuck in, in the lift. It, it was, and it made, I, I suppose, because of the initial delay, the, the half-hour break um, for that power surge, you, I guess we should have anticipated that it was probably going to turn into a slightly crazy day, which it did. I did ask for um, a madness, didn't I, in the run-up to this? You did, and, and you, certainly, you certainly got it. The delay was odd because as soon as the game kicked off, we were sat in the press box, the lighting, the ordinary lighting, flickered and went off and then returned almost instantly. And certain people noticed the Wi-Fi dropping out, um, noticed the, the laptops um, losing battery power. Um, but it, it seemed to click in um, almost immediately afterwards. And you kind of know that there was um, power in the press box because you could see us all tweeting, you know, live tweeting as the, as the delay went on. The problem was essentially that the power did return almost instantly to Ellen Road, um, but it did crash um, the various systems, Hawkeye uh, and VAR as well, um, both of which needed to reset, but then subsequently also needed to be tested. That was what really took the time and and what led to the the half-hour delay, that and the need for a a fresh warm-up of about five, five, ten minutes. People will have seen um, Chris Kavanagh, the referee, and his assistants out in front of the south stand testing the goal line technology um, under the crossbar. and. All in all, it 
it kind of stopped the game getting into any flow before it had even started. There'd been 69 seconds played and Stroit was just about to take a throw in on the left when Kavanaugh first came over to the assistant and started pointing to um, what looked like a, a battery pack on his arm. And I think Jesse Marsh was telling us afterwards that there was a conversation briefly about the possibility that they would go ahead without VAR to make sure that the game was played if the system hadn't been able to to reset. <laughs> can, you, think, can you imagine, Phil? Well, I was just going to say... Given what happened... Now, Considering the game and and with hindsight, I think it's in everybody's interest that the um, the officials were full metal jacket with all the the technology, um, because contentious decisions would have been ten times more contentious had VAR not been in in place. And I think you have to say that technology is so ingrained um, in individual matches now, and there's so much involved that you cannot have a scenario where one game or or a handful of games through the season play out without it. You've got to have them. Um, you got to have the same rules. You got to have the same systems in place consistently. Um, so it, it made sense that they they made the delay and made sure everything was working. It says a lot about the the shape of the game, doesn't it? That that almost became a bit bit of an afterthought, almost given given the drama that actually unfolded on the field. Because it was a hell of a game. Do you think that was Leeds United's best performance of the season? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was because I think Arsenal are in considerably better shape than Chelsea were when they came to Ellen Road. What I thought was quite notable yesterday is that that's the second time this season that a team at Ellen Road, visiting team, have, have come with the intention of going toe-to-toe with Leeds, of trying to impose themselves properly on the game, um, of having it in their heads that they'll employ attacking open tactics, that they'll work, um, that they'll have the edge on Leeds and, and that they'll win the game. And um, I think that's the second time as well that, that that team have been ambushed. I mean, you saw it with Chelsea. Um, Chelsea were comprehensively outplayed by Leeds and, and heavily beaten in the end. Arsenal were comprehensively outplayed um, in the second half yesterday. And Mikel Arteta did say, you know, Arsenal were in big trouble in that period. They they struggled. They, they couldn't find any rhythm. Um, I, I wasn't getting the impression, um, sat in the press box watching Arteta on the touchline below, that he really understood how to change that or, or really knew what to do to stop the flow of chance that was coming for Leeds and, and the pressure that was on his defence. And I think all in all, it is the best performance of the season. Unfortunately, it's not the best result. And I think that was the kick in the teeth for Marsh afterwards. Conversely, you would say for Arsenal that if you're top of the league um, and, and trying to move clear at the top of the league, then that's a great result for you. And that's quite a telling result. You know, that's a result that you really dig out um, in circumstances where you could easily have lost the game. But, you know, Leeds, are, Leeds feel to an extent, and I was writing this this morning, that they're stringing themselves up. You know, the, the kind of brainless pass from Rodrigo that um, led to Arsenal's first goal, the, the missed penalty from Bamford, the chances that didn't go in. Um, it could be looking better than it is at the moment. Very, very good performance, but it's it's going to have to be results soon. With regards to the atmosphere, did you notice it a little bit flat in the first half? Because I had a passing thought just um, during a lull in the game that the atmosphere has been a bit flat on the on the Sunday two o'clock games, which I don't think the the scheduling in the calendar helps that necessarily because it's got a slightly different feel, hasn't it, to uh, to a Saturday. But then on reflection, I thought actually it probably it's a it's a compliment to Leeds United that. They managed to contain Arsenal and go toe to toe with them, even if the first half wasn't particularly spectacular, and contain them in that first half. So there wasn't a right lot to shout about. Well, that was maybe for the best. Well, I think the work in the first half was as impressive in its own way as the the dominance in the second. They they did contain Arsenal and they worked very hard to contain them. And I think that was the frustration of Rodrigo's pass was that it was you know it it was a kind of stupid crossfield ball that was asking for trouble. It, at a point in the game 
where Leeds had managed themselves into. You know, they hadn't given Arsenal an early goal, which I think was one of the things that could easily have dictated yesterday's game and, and could easily have led to yesterday's game becoming messy. But they, they held the nerve after that as well. And and with regards to the atmosphere, I don't think the initial break helped. You know, I don't think being 69 seconds into the game and then having a half-hour stoppage, you know, two warm-ups, people away, getting food, getting drinks, everything else back into the stand, it, it meant that the first half was always likely to be slightly flat. But I think what helped as well um, in the second half was, albeit a disallowed goal from Bamford, Bamford sticking the ball in the net after 30 seconds, you know, 30 seconds after the, the kickoff, um, after half time, it just energised everybody and it made everybody think perhaps this is going to swing, perhaps this is going to turn, which it really did dramatically. And I mean, I don't think Leeds can be much more creative without scoring than they were yesterday. And, and I guess what you have to hope and what Marsh will be hoping is that if you're able to play like that consistently, if you're able to create like that consistently and, and you know, to revisit the, the chat we were having about attacking stats and everything else um, last week, Leeds attacking stats are not bad. You know, they, they really aren't. They are fairly mid-table um, and, and we position them there. They were better than that yesterday. They were very aggressive going forward. They created an awful lot without scoring. I think the hope has to be that in that form and, and with that sort of swagger, the results start to come. And it seems difficult for me to, to imagine that if they're playing like that consistently, that the results won't come. It's one of those classic days where you try to draw confidence from the way that you played. But I think you could see in Marsh's face afterwards, I think you could hear in what he was saying, that he knows that this has to turn into to good scorelines pretty soon. You know, they, they've got Leicester next, they've got Fulham. They need a good week. Yeah, we'll get on to all that, actually, the, the stuff that's coming up and, and what's needed from Marsh, because we had Kinnear's programme notes. But just to rewind to uh, before the game, am I allowed to claim a sunbite? I think it's something of a Pyrrhic victory, isn't it, about calling Rodrigo over Bamford for the starting lineup? Because I, I did, I just had a sneaking suspicion towards the back end of last week that he might go with that, Marsh, and he did in the end. Yeah, I think both Michael and I uh, thought that, that he would, in the end, go with Bamford. And... Um, I mean, I I guess I have to go one step further and say that, you know, I was kind of of the view or pushing the view last week that in the circumstances and given that one player was fitter than the other, it almost made sense to to push ahead with Rodrigo at nine because he was almost the player who you could rely on to complete 90 minutes. He was the player you could rely on to play week after week. But I don't think there's any doubt that while the structure worked well in the first half and the system was good, I thought um, I thought the pressing was very decent, didn't give Arsenal a lot of space to play in. And, and the, the the most striking thing with the shape was that when Arsenal were countering, obviously they, they were dangerous and there were gaps and, and that's where you, you're on the risk of being exposed. But when the ball was in front of Leeds, they did hold the positions very well and they made it extremely difficult for Arsenal to, to play through them. But there wasn't a huge amount in the first half in the way of chances and it wasn't as if Leeds were particularly dangerous um, in that spell. And there's no denying at all that with Bamford on the pitch for Rodrigo in the second half, the dynamic was very different. They were more creative. They had a, a number nine to aim at. He, you know, he missed chances, he missed the penalty. But a lot of what he did was absolutely spot on. You know, the runs were right, the positions he was taking up were good. They were inviting passes into the box, putting pressure on Arsenal. I think it comes back to the feeling that most of us have, which is that Bamford is the is the striker who suits this system best. You know, he is the player who suits Leeds best at number nine, given the makeup of the squad and given that the choice of centre forwards is, is not in any way vast. The, the concern is always, when is Bamford going to be fit enough to play 90 minutes after 90 minutes after 90 minutes? Um, I, I guess 
I would say that if you're looking at the team for the next game and thinking about the lineup for the next game, he comes into it, doesn't he? And I don't think just because of Rodrigo's mistake, I think he comes into it because he looked like the player who turned Leeds into a dangerous animal in the second half. Just to rewind again very briefly to when we spoke about Renny Maric last week and you've done a piece on him as well, which is on the site, which is a um, nice long read, well worth a look into his, his background. And um, We had a text conversation, didn't we, at, at half-time in the wake of Rodrigo's pass and Leeds being one down, where I reminded you that like the one big takeaway, I think it was in the article, I can't remember if we spoke about it um, on the podcast, but it was definitely in the article, one of the things that, that Rene Maric has, uh, has documented in his in his past as a football blogger and a coach was was the blind pass. And for some reason, those two words stuck in my head from that conversation and that article. And then Rodrigo went and did that. I mean, there's no explaining it, is there? And in that conversation, you said, yeah, we'll ask about that at full time because I want to know, is that something that, that they've practiced? Is it something they've done in training? Or was it just something he did he did on the hoof? And it seems to be the latter. Yeah, I don't think there's any correlation there. Um, the, the, um, I, I wasn't trying to blame Maric, I should say. I just, no, I just, no, fascin- no, no, just no. fascinating that it just stuck in my mind. No, of course, the story about the blind passes um, came from one of Maric's um, earliest coaching roles with, with an amateur club, TSU Handenberg, in, um, in Austria. And it was a former player um, who was chatting about him and saying that what Maric did there was that he... He took the squad from a, a routine of training which revolved mostly around physical work and running and, and everything else um, to a routine of training that was far more tactical and, and I guess far more thoughtful. And there were they, they noticed things like Maric counting the seconds that it took um, Handenberg to press and recover the ball when they lost possession. And also things like in training, you know, practising blind passes um, that the that his players, Maric's players, should be able to anticipate, but the opposition, for obvious reasons, wouldn't um, be able to read. Um, but Marsh said afterwards um, yesterday, you know, Rodrigo's pass is not something that they plan for. It's not something that they do. And I mean, even with hindsight and even having watched it back, I'm not quite sure who he thought he was aiming for or, or what he thought he was aiming for. It must have made sense in his head and he must have expected that he was going to open up some space with that. I have, have, you seen he... the, have you seen the still of it, Phil, the, the screen grab? I have. Because um, you can and, see sort of Sinisteras lurking over on the other side, so you sort of get what he was trying to do. Just, it was just executed badly. But but there isn't so much space over there that that looks to me like the, the sort of ball that, that has a high percentage chance of, of paying off. I saw a few people say that they thought Stroik should have positioned himself differently or or should have um, should have dealt with the dropping ball in a different way um, when Saka headed it down to Odegaard and, and everything opened up in behind. But I think everybody was completely caught in the hall. I was going to say, wasn't he? He just wasn't expecting it, was he? <laughs> no, that absolutely. And I think you know, even with Sinistera in that position, it's asking a hell of a lot from the position. I mean, if you, again, looking at the still, the stretch that Rodrigo's having to make to connect with that in the first place is is creating every likelihood that the pass is, is going to go wrong. And as I say, I, I found myself feeling for Marsh yesterday because he has had a few hard weeks and I think he's looked, you know, he's looked visibly under a little bit more pressure as, as time has gone on. But you did feel that down in the dugout, there's very little you can do about that. There's very little you can do about Bamford's penalty. I don't think you can ask Leeds to play an awful lot better against a team like Arsenal than they did yesterday. And, and that, I suppose, has to be where the confidence and the optimism comes from but that confidence and optimism is only going to survive and we've seen this so many times over the years teams playing well taking nothing needing results it's only going to survive and thrive if results start to come this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With regards to that system that you talked about there in the first half, um, Phil, did have a question from Nowhere Man on Waka who posted just to ask, did you spot any sort of tactical differences? Because at times, um, particularly out of possession, Leeds look to have like almost like a front three rather than um, a person leading the line with like Rodrigo drop out to the right, Aronson on the left, maybe Harrison through the middle. Did, did you notice that shape? They did that towards the end of the game as well, actually, that it, it dropped into or it, it um, kind of morphed into more of a, a three up front. Um, if you look back to some of the earliest games under Marsh um, and his very first match away at Leicester is a really good example. What tended to happen uh, when they were out of possession was that they dropped more into a kind of 4-2-4, line of four up front um, to try and create, really really to create a difficult line to play through. And I think defensively, they were pretty stable yesterday. They they didn't give an awful lot away. And as I say, there was the inherent risk of when you attack and Leeds have to attack at Ellen Road. And I think they minded to play like that anyway. I don't think Marsh's Marsh's mindset is is in any way to be negative or, or to sit deep. But when you tack, you run the risk that you are going to get countered by Saka and Odegaard and, and Martinelli and Jesus up front as well. We had a really quiet game, um, but did in the first half. It, some of his movement was pretty effective and, and quite clever coming deep to try and open things up. And, and he was tricky on the ball. He just faded more and more as the 90 minutes went on because Arsenal weren't in the game enough. But out with those situations, when Leeds had Arsenal in front of them, they were solid and you didn't see much in the way of gaps that Arsenal were going to be able to play through. Um, what happened in the second half and what I think was most satisfying about the second half was the way that when the impetus swung, Leeds were really able to lay it on Arsenal, you know, lay it on in, in a big way. And it wasn't all transitional and it wasn't all dependent on turnovers and it wasn't all dependent on, you know, chaos leading to Arsenal spilling the ball in all sorts of areas. It did become wave after wave of attacks and it did use wide areas. Um, it, it, it was, I thought there was more variation in the play yesterday. And I think they can be happy with the way that they played. We're just in that, we're in that point, we're in that point of the season now, aren't we? That, that zone of the season where it starts to become a bit more about points than anything else. And I think you can hear that in, in what Marsh is saying. I think he knows that and he, he's starting to, you know, he was very happy with the performance. He said, you know, that is that showcases us at our best, which I think is is very, very fair comment. But he did repeat more than once, you know, we need goals, we need points from these games coming up. The, the season the season needs it. And he specifically picked out both Bamford and Rodrigo, didn't he, in the in the questions in the press are saying that we need more from them, we need to start getting goals from them. And and what of Bamford? Because we're we're a month out from the World Cup, which was a tournament that he had designs on not so long ago. And fair to say that since that point, when he made his uh, his England debut, it's not really gone to plan from there, has he? What, what did you make of him yesterday? Because, I mean, I said on our show, I thought it was quite an enigmatic performance in that um, we looked so much better with him on the field. And yet, at the moment, he just looks like he couldn't finish his dinner. If he takes a chance or takes a couple of chances, 
I think we all talk about that as a top quality centre forwards performance. And I think it's easy to it's easy to get diverted in the discussion about Bamford on the basis that he you know he does miss chances and, and he doesn't always score as much as he should. And I, I totally understand that Leeds don't have the leeway um, to be able to do that for long. And they're not a, a team who scores so much. In the way that they did in the Championship, you know, you, you could get away with misses in the Championship because Leeds were so dominant and were so creative that you always felt that a goal would come eventually. I'm writing about Bamford for tomorrow, for Tuesday. And it feels to me like the, the discussion has been framed around him at Leeds for such a long time now, almost back to the day that he signed. You know, the question of... Is he good enough? Is he what we need at centre forward? You know, right the way through the championship years, does he miss too many opportunities? Is he clinical enough? Um, I thought he was absolutely instrumental tactically in, in the team that got promoted. I think he was totally fundamental to Bielsa's um, tactics. And as time went on, I understood more and more and more why it was that, that Bielsa pinned his colours to that mast and, and wanted to have um, Bamford as his nine and, and in the team. But I was I was digging back into what was being said about him exactly this time last year, you know, a, a year ago. And at the time, Bamford was injured. He did that ankle injury um, away at, at Newcastle. And you can find quotes quite easily from Bielsa about is Bamford's absence affecting the team? You know, is that why you're not scoring goals? And Bielsa saying, no, it's not. We're not dangerous enough. But it always seems to be that, you know, are Leeds struggling because Bamford is injured? Are they struggling because Bamford isn't fit enough, you know, to play 90 minutes? Are they struggling because um, he isn't finishing? Or is the fact that they're doing well down to the fact that, that he is scoring goals, which he has done, you know, in periods um, in his time at Leeds, he, he has scored goals and you find that they tend to to come in bunches with him. It felt yesterday watching him as if he's in that at that precise moment the strikers get into where he needs a goal and if a goal comes you might find that one leads to two, three, four, five, six, however many it is, you know, might lead to a, a streak from him and, and I can certainly see that happening. I think as well, I came away with the feeling that it has to happen. You know, it, the goals I think are going to have to come from him. We, we've debated many, many times about the failure to sign, you know, a, a proven established quality number nine in the transfer window. There's absolutely nothing that can be done about that at the moment because it's October and the window doesn't open until January. There's there's no wriggle room to do anything. So the goals have got to come internally. Um, and I don't think there's any way that you can look at yesterday's game and not feel that if they're, they're going to come from anywhere, they're going to have to come from him. Touched on Angus Kinnear's programme notes before. Um, what did you make of those, Phil? It, it felt to me like, um, or, or maybe I'm misinterpreting it, you tell me, a very mild shot across the bows, that one. Well, as I wrote my piece today, it was the chief exec extolling the room for improvement um, in the team and, and by extension, the club doing the same. Um, I do feel, though, that we... I mean, he said that the second half at Crystal Palace was lacklustre. That was the word that Kinnear used. I, I think everybody kind of saw the same thing down there. I don't think Marsh, to his credit, tried to pretend that, that Leeds were great in the second half at Sellers Park or, or did enough to win the game. But I, I suspect that everybody will be starting to feel now, you know, the, the need to get points on the board. I mean, again, given that last season developed into a relegation fight and a very, very tense, tense one that, that Leeds got away with right at the, at the very end, I was having a look back, you know, to see where they were points-wise last season to see how this compares. And at the moment, they're on nine from nine, nine points from nine games. Um, they've got Leicester next, they've got Fulham and then it's Liverpool away. So by the time they come back from Anfield, um, they'll have played 12 matches. After 12 matches last season, they had 11 points. So, you know, not a million miles from the, the ballpark that they're in just now. 
And it makes you realise that if points don't come onto the board fairly soon, they're potentially heading into another scrap to stay up. And I think that's what everybody wants to avoid. I don't think anybody wants the tension or the stress of being involved in that again, and certainly not Marsh. You know, you can, again, to go back to his comments, I think you can read between the lines of what he's saying. He does not want that to be the scenario here where suddenly everybody starts to ask again, are this, this squad running into trouble? So they need a good week. I think if they get a good week, the picture will look very, very different at the end of it um, after Leicester and Fulham. Um, but it's a bit of a questionable period for them because, as Marsh said on Friday, they haven't won, in a, le- in, they haven't won a league game since August, um, albeit with the, that massive break in the middle. And it is six games without a win. It's two points um, from a possible 18. It's it's not enough. And that's what that's what drags you down towards the bottom three. Absolutely. It's not quite do or die time, is it? I don't think we need to extrapolate no. our fears out at this stage. But um, no, it, not, it does feel like a bit... It feels like a big week, doesn't it? Not at all. I, I think... Even to you know park the the table for the moment and and you know the the, the points tally, Leicester have had a, a dreadful season so far and and really seem to be in a holding pattern um, with everybody waiting for the point at which they and, and Brendan Rodgers decide to go their separate ways and that feels like it's coming. Fulham have started pretty well. Um, I think they started better than people expected, but. You wonder if it's sustainable. And when I look through their attacking stats, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that it is. I also think for better or for worse, Fulham are exactly the sort of club that um, uh, the crowd at Ellen Road would expect Leeds to be. And I don't think that's um, unreasonable to say. So there's an aesthetic aspect to this as well. You know, it, it, how you look against Arsenal is is great for ego, it's great for confidence, it's, it's great for, for optimism. But how you look against Leicester and Fulham is really what is going to get you safe in the division. It's what's going to is what's going to see you right. It's what's going to keep you in a comfortable um, slot, provided you play well in those games. And Leeds have to play well in those games. The Arsenal game is going to be quickly forgotten if they go to Leicester and have a bad night. Well, hopefully there's a chance for them to build on that good performance on Sunday at the King Power on Thursday. And Leicester are going to be without James Madison, who got booked deep, deep into injury time um, in their game against Palace at the weekend for a dive. Fifth yellow card of the season, suspended on Thursday. That's got to be a big boost for Leeds, hasn't it? It is. I always think of Madison as one of Leicester's best players and I always think of Madison as a player who another club will go big on at some point. One of those who who seems very much in the discussion of will he want to um, go to um, the World Cup with England in in Qatar. Um, They've got problems, Leicester, and... It's they, I think, have gone beyond the point now where you can say that they've just had a you know a little bit of a stumble to begin with. You know they are badly out of form. Um, the the league position for them is terrible. It's five points from from ten games, um, and they are already I think in for a pretty major fight to stay up. So it's it's a winnable game. It's a winnable game, and and I I sort of look at yesterday's performance against Arsenal and think to myself. If Leeds play anything like that, then they should win at the King Power. They absolutely should. But these are the critical moments, you know, particularly because you they've lost to Arsenal. These are the moments where you have to have the nerve um, and the nerve to be able to transfer that display yesterday into what is, I think, a much bigger game on Thursday night. And in the end, to, to deliver. Um, and I think Marsh knows at the moment that, that they need to start delivering on that front. What represents a good return from Leicester on Thursday, in your opinion? Is a draw good enough or do we need to start picking up wins? I think a draw is good enough if you beat Fulham, but I think a draw puts more pressure on the Fulham game and that's something Leeds can do without. You almost feel that if they go to Leicester and win, then there's a very high chance that they win again on Sunday and it's it's six points from two games. It's um, 15 in total, um, which is what Newcastle are on at the moment in sixth. It, it's, this is a period that in really short you know, space of time, 
it has the potential to change the, the league quite drastically um, for Leeds. If they were to come out the weekend with four points from the two games, I don't think that's a terrible return by any stretch. But again, you know, to, to think about what we've seen over the years and the way that football tends to work psychologically, not winning at Leicester um, on Thursday really raises the stakes for Sunday. Um, so I think the King Power is a game to win. For me, an ideal return is Bamford comes into the side and scores in the first 20, 25 minutes and just gives us a platform to build from. And for him as well, personally, because like you say, he, t- he tends to be streaky, doesn't he? When he gets on one, he uh, he tends to bag a few. I think so. I think that's probably the way to pitch it here. Um, and I guess that's when you have to think outside the results that things need to develop beyond that. You know, you, you need Bamford to score so that he, he starts to feel the confidence that a striker needs. It's There's that invisible groove, isn't there, for a forward that only they see and only they feel and only they know when they're in it. And I think he'll be saying to himself that he's he's in it when it comes to the things that he's doing and the decisions that he's making, um, the runs, the positions, everything else, the, the opportunities that he's creating for players to pick him out. It just isn't there with the finishing. But I can definitely see a scenario where one goal comes and more follow. What are you hoping for then from Thursday? Never mind what represents a good return. What, what do you think we need to do? Uh, is it get on the front foot? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And there's no reason not to do that. Away from home, you always get the sense that there's more pressure on teams to come out to play a bit more. You've, they've they've got home crowds to placate and, and to satisfy. And I think we'll probably see that when Leeds go to Villa, when Leeds go to Everton. I mean, Everton do play, tend, to, tend to play incredibly deep under Lampard generally, but at Goodison Park, I think they would have to be more expressive um, and more ambitious than they were at Ellen Road. I think Ellen Road's a ground where you can come to and be fairly negative, if that's the right word, because it's not your crowd who are around about you. You know, it's not their descent that you're going to incur. Leicester, I think, we'll have to play with a, a little bit of ambition. And I think Leeds should like the thought of space opening up because they, they saw what happened yesterday when space did open up against Arsenal. That was what they wanted. That's what they were able to play with. I think it needs a good performance and it needs a good result. But I, I, I think bottom line is they need to win the game. you know. And this might be a night where a, a scruffy victory would do because there are points in the season where that's necessary just to get you ticking, ticking on. I, I was thinking driving home yesterday about the last time Leeds were really on a roll, you know, really on a roll as a team. And it feels like a good 18 months. You know, it feels like you have to go back to that game against West Brom, the last game, um, the, the the first game with the crowd back after COVID, the last game of the 2020-21 season, when it felt like they were flying. It's It's been a long time and they really, really do need some sustained impetus. Now, what did you make of the weekend overall then in terms of uh, scores and results? It wasn't a terrible weekend, was it? Generally speaking, when you look down the results, you know, Leicester and Palace with that nil-nil, Fulham and Bournemouth um, drawing as well, Wolves beating Forest, you're looking at Forest thinking they're not far off being cut adrift at, at this stage, um, you know, Spurs beating Everton and then um, on Sunday, Villa losing to Chelsea, you know, and so on, you go down the results and there wasn't really a, too many bad ones in there for Leeds, were there? No, you were mentioning, you know, the, the Sunday two o'clock kickoff time being slightly odd for the atmosphere. I was having a chat with somebody in, our office about the way in which Saturday football in the Premier League from time to time seems to become a little bit of a a non-event. You know, again, yesterday you had Arsenal playing league leaders, you had um, Manchester City away at Liverpool. Um, Quite an an entertaining and um, attractive fixture list in comparison to what went on on Saturday afternoon. I think you're right. Um, To a large degree, the results were, were fairly good for Leeds. Wolves got themselves moving um, which they they definitely needed to do, but you know that's another poor result for Forest, um, and and still big questions being asked down there with with them bottom of the league. 
Um, it's okay at the moment. That's the thing. It's okay, even despite this run of, of six games without a win. It hasn't kind of spiralled leads into huge amounts of trouble. You just can't afford, you know, six games without a win to become nine or ten games because then suddenly you're talking about more than a quarter of the season. Um, so this is um this is a kind of kind of key point for for Marsh and his squad. I think this is where it has to happen. And to Thursday then, and an eight fifteen kickoff. That means a late finish, doesn't it? Uh, Dan in Leicester. These are on um, Amazon Prime in the UK. Hence the slightly strange kickoff times. Um, heading down to this one. I will be. I will be. I mean, just to touch as well on something Leeds could do with. I, I think. A little bit of a break when it comes to VAR refereeing decisions would would not would not be unhelpful. I mean, I don't think we've we've touched yet on you know the the kind of shambles at the the end of the game of the decision to award the penalty um, to Leeds to send off Gabriel and then to reverse it um, and award Arsenal a free kick and and to give Gabriel a yellow card instead. I think you can argue either way about whether Bamford's nudge on him was reasonable grounds on which to overturn the re- the penalty decision. And I think some people will think that it was. I mean, it seemed to me that Gabriel knew what he was doing and was standing his ground to um, to make sure that he was in Bamford's way. I was going to say, he, look, he, looked, he looked at him, Phil, didn't he? And then checked his run to deliberately body so, check him. So, yeah. You know, he, 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 knew what, he knew what he was doing. Um, but Bamford does go into him. So, you know, the, the referee has a decision to make there. What I don't understand is why violent conduct um, yes. with Gabriel... <laughs> and, um, becomes a yellow card when he's clearly kicked out of him. I mean, to watch the replay, it was all a bit feeble, actually, what went on. But it's a definite flick of the boot. You know, he does kick out of Bamford. That should be should be a red card. I do agree with Marsh when he says that Leeds seem to be on the wrong end of these, on you know, fairly regularly. And would certainly not be one of those clubs that you'd stick in the column of has benefited massively from refereeing um, decisions and, and VAR decisions. Well, we, we were one of that, only four clubs, Phil, to have not benefited from a VAR decision prior to the weekend. Um, one of only four clubs in the division to not get anything go our way before this weekend. And, and, and clearly VAR intervened to um, award the penalty um, that Bamford missed. Very slowly, it has to be said. I mean, it was so slow that Arsenal had gone to the other end of the... Um, other end of the pitch and had a chance that Melier had saved before Kavanagh came over to the screen. Um, my argument about that would be that I don't think you should need VAR to award a penalty like that. That was the, such an obvious handball. I was going to say, I um, could see that from about 80 yards away, Phil. It should have been staring everybody um, in the face. So yes, VAR has, um, has definitely helped Leeds out there, but not over something marginal and not over something that it really should have had to have got involved with. Uh, so I think I think Marsh is right. I, I don't think an awful lot is running for them in that respect. But I also don't think that's the story of the season. You know, I don't think that is why Leeds are where they are in the table. And I don't think, if I'm being fair to Marsh and the players, I don't think they're pretending that that's the case either. And as I say, um, God giveth and God taketh away again. What did you make of the one right at the start of the second half? The uh, the nudge was that a, was that a foul or should that goal have stood? It's it, you know, it's funny because I tweeted about it from the Square Ball account and it's about a 50-50 split. You know, plenty of Arsenal fans jumping on saying if that was the other way around, you would have wanted it given and so on and so forth. So where do you stand on that one? Goal that's, or no goal? That's, that's true, isn't it? If it was um, the other way around, um, I don't think anybody would be sitting saying, yeah, that, that should have been that should have been allowed had that been an Arsenal foul on, on Robin Koch or... Um, it, was, it was weak though, I, wasn't it? It, it was weak, but it was a nudge and it was definitely a deliberate nudge if you look at it. However much contact was actually in, in there, that's what he, he was trying to do. I thought, I thought actually, I thought Kavanaugh had a pretty good day. 
um, all round. I mean, talk about earning your money between a power cut and te- um, technological failures and then everything that, that went on in the game. I, I thought he refereed that um, in a pr- pretty decent manner and I think he got that one right. The red card, I don't understand at all and we haven't had anything like a good enough explanation. Um, and I think if there's if there's one to fight over and argue over, that's probably it. Man of the match for you? I'm going to, I thought Robin Koch had a really good game at the back. I thought the two fullbacks actually did a good job on two very, very good players in Martinelli and Saka. I know Saka scored the goal, um, but I think the blame for that lies elsewhere um, away from strike. But I'm going to give it to Mark Rocker. I, I thought the, the midfielder really, the, the midfield, Leeds midfield really did dish it out, um, particularly in the second half. I thought he controlled a lot of the play. I thought between him and Tyler Adams, Arsenal had very little room for manoeuvre um, and very little space to breathe. They, they really were suffocated there. I've liked Rocker this season. I thought he'd be a good signing. I think he has been a good signing. I think that's been his best performance yet. Right, we'll be back on Friday then to look back at the Leicester game and look ahead to the to the Fulham match at Ellen Road. There may not be a press on Friday. We're not sure yet, are we? Because they sometimes do it after the midweek game. You know, like um, they combine the two, don't they? So we'll have to see how that one plays out. Yes, um, we'll. I, I think we'll find out um, just before the Leicester game what the plan is. But one way or the other, we will be back on Friday with uh, another potty. We will indeed. At the Phil Hayes Show on Twitter, theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod pound a month for six months to read The Athletic. And we'll speak to you at the back end of the week. Bye-bye. The Phil Hay Show. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.